But you made it. See, that's a good thing about having two services uh, right there. Uh, right up here, we have a replica. I call it a replica because, uh, you know, the old-fashioned grandfather clocks. You remember what you had to do with them? You had to put the, the key thing in. You had to crank that thing, wind it up. Uh, this is a battery operated. Uh, the ones they make today are probably ba all battery operated. But the old-fashioned ones, now, now those were wind-up clocks. How many of you remember when you had to wind your watch? Any of y'all remember when you had to wind? See, some of you are so young, you don't remember things like this. You had to wind your... And, and the problem was, you'd forget to wind your watch, and then you're like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And that's why we would be late sometimes. But, you know, when you think about uh, all of this, you realize that, um, you know, we, we have to wind the clock. And today's message is, wind the clock. You, you don't find time... You make time. Um, <clears throat> many years ago, there was a, a Christian uh, preacher, teacher, uh, author, Dr. Tony Campolo, and he was a, teaching a class at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and he turned to uh, the student on the front row, and he said to the student, young man, how long have you lived? And the young man was sort of stunned that he was being sort of singled out, and he, you know, stammered a little bit, and he told everybody what his age was. And Tony Campolo said, no, 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 no. That's how long your heart has been pumping blood. That's not how long you've lived. And that's when Tony Campolo told the class a story about one of the most memorable moments of his life. It was in 1944 when Tony Campolo was a fourth grader and his class took a field trip to the top of the Empire State Building, which at that time was the tallest building in the world. Now, when little nine-year-old Tony got off that elevator and he stepped out onto that observation deck overlooking New York City, for him, time stood still. And he told the class, if I, had a, if I live a million years, that moment will still be part of my consciousness because I was fully alive when I lived it. Tony turned back to that same student and he said, now, let me ask you the question again. How long have you lived? And the student said, well, if you put it that way, maybe an hour, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. So let me ask you those questions. First, how old are you? And I know some people are offended when you ask them that, uh, how old are you? I guess there's a certain point where, you know, you get to a certain age and you're no longer, like, uh, offended by that. But the second one is more important. How long have you lived? It's easy calculating age, but it's much more difficult quantifying our life. Because time is measured in minutes, but a life is measured in moments. What are those Empire State Building moments for you? When was the last time that time stood still for you? And if you turn those moments into minutes, how long have you lived? We're in this series based on the book, When the Day, 
And in that book, Mark Batterson shares seven biblical principles, and we call them habits, that will help us stress less and accomplish more. And we've talked about five of those habits. Would, would y'all like to... Now, the first group this morning, they did an excellent job of recounting all five that we've done so far, and in order. So how many of you think you can do it? Tell me. What's the first one we did? Flip the script. Thank you. And the second one. Oh, no. Kiss the wave. And the third one was eat the frog. And the fourth one was fly the kite. And the, the, the fifth one was cut the rope. I'm trying to give you as much help as I can. But uh, it, it's time to wind the clock. That is habit number six. And the big idea for today is you don't find time, you make time. Now, the Bible is very clear that our time is valuable, and what we do with our time is important to God. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over, you can follow along on the screen behind us. But in Ephesians chapter 5, we go to verse 15. And we read, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We want to develop a right relationship with time. Lots of people live in the wrong time zone. You know, they're stuck in past tense guilt or paralyzed by future tense fear. Either way, they're half present, half the time, which means that they're half alive. So what we want to do is we want to close that gap between those two questions. How old are we and how long have we lived? I want us to make the most of our minutes and our moments. But we understand time management is not just practical, it really is theological. And so let's think about three thoughts before we wind the clock. And the first thought is this, that time is a human idea. Time was not so much a God thing as it is a man thing. Because God doesn't have a watch where he's trying to keep on someone else's timetable. In 2 Peter 3.8, we read with the Lord, a day is like a what? A thousand years and a thousand years are like a what? Day. That makes no sense in our four dimensions of space and time. God does not exist within the space-time dimensions that He created. There is no past, present, or future with God. He is eternal. He is infinite. The challenge we face is that four dimensions is all we've ever known. So um, I wanted you to see this little video clip of a, of a Christian scientist who is explaining... The, the concept of God and time and space and all those things. So let's watch that video. Which, which I want you to fill in the story of the rest of the uh, beginning of the universe. God, spiritual matter, impact on material matter. Okay, so two questions. All right. Go ahead. 
All right, your question, where did God come from, assumes that you're thinking of the wrong, uh, obviously it displays that you're thinking of the wrong God, because the God of the Bible is not affected by time, space, or matter. If he's, if he's affected by time, space, or matter, he's not God. Time, space, and matter is what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence at the same instant, because if there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, when would you put it? You cannot have time, space, or matter independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. The Bible answers that in ten words. In the beginning, there's time, God created the heaven, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. So you have time, space, matter created, a trinity of trinities there, just, you know, time is past, present, future, space has length, width, height, matter has solid, liquid, gas, you have a trinity of trinities created instantaneously, and the God who created them has to be outside of them. If he's limited by time, he's not God. The guy who created this computer is not in the computer, he's not running around in there changing the numbers on the screen, okay? The God who created this universe is outside of the universe, he's above it, beyond it, in it, through it, he's, he's unaffected by it. So for and the, the concept that a, a spiritual uh, force cannot have any effect on a material body, well then I guess you'd have to explain to me things like emotions and love and hatred and envy and jealousy and, and rationality. I mean, if your brain is just a random collection of chemicals that form by chance over billions of years, how on earth can you trust your own reasoning processes and the thoughts that you, you think? Okay? So, um, I, your, your question, where did God come from, is assuming a limited God, and that's your problem. The God that I worship is not limited by time, space, or matter. If I could fit the infinite God in my three-pound brain, he would not be worth worshiping, that's for certain. So that's the God that I worship. Thank you. I think that's a great way of understanding God. So this idea is, you know, time is for us. It's not for God. Um, and in the beginning, we were created in the image of God. That's in our beginning, right? Not God's beginning. We have been creating God in our image ever since. Think about that. God created us in His image, but we've been trying to recreate God in our image. And that's why we get into so much trouble. Because of this, we tend to sort of time stamp God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the ancient of days. In the words of theologian Paul Tillich, God is the eternal now. All of that to say this, creation was God's way of starting the clock for us. We have been on that clock since God said, let there be light. The day is coming when we'll cross that space-time continuum and enter a dimension that the Bible calls heaven. Now, we think of heaven as a future destination, and it is. But heaven is invading the earth even now. Eternity is invading time right here and right now. So understand, time is a human construct. It was something we needed. And then secondly, we live forward while God is working backward. Think about how we think about our lives. We think from the past to the present to the future. 
But how does God look at things? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 we read, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared for us, when? In advance. It's like God is looking back at the life we're going to live and God is putting things in order so that He is setting us up. God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. And He's really good at getting us where He wants us to be. Just ask this guy named Jonah one day. He is ordering your footsteps. He is working all things together for your good. In Romans 8, 28, we read, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now that passage is certainly not saying that everything is good, that all things that happen to us are good. We live in a fallen world. Bad things happen to us. And it doesn't take much as we look around to see the effects of free will and sin. And yet, God can redeem and recycle the pain and the suffering. He can work bad situations into a good thing for us. And the same God who began a good work in us will carry it to completion. Now there's a fancy word in philosophy called teleology. It's beginning with the end in mind. And that really is what God has done. That's what He continues to do. For us, the arrow of time moves in one direction, past, present, future. But God is different. Think about what Jesus said in John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. What? How, how could that be? Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. Look in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. So what did God say? Did He say, I will deliver Jericho into your hands? Is that what he said? No. He said, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Do we have any English teachers or anybody here that did real well in English class? Raise your hand high. Be proud of it. I was terrible in English, but y'all, you, you smart people, y'all got the English down. Now, is there a difference between past tense, present tense, and future tense? Is there a difference? Yeah, even us dummies know that, right? In our calculation, in our timetable, what God was saying about Jericho should have been in future tense. Because when God said it, it hadn't happened yet. So why is He speaking in the past tense? It's because God was working backward. God had already done it, even though it hadn't happened yet. And that brings us to this third point. Everything is created twice. Everything was once a thought. 
There is an internal or mental or spiritual creation that occurs first. And then and only then is there a physical manifestation of that thing. That's what imagining unborn tomorrows, Mark Batterson's thought, is all about. Now, how many of you ever been to Washington, D.C.? Anybody ever been to Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C., most of it beautiful. You know, you enjoy going to places. But did you know that it first existed in the imagination of a guy named Pierre Charles Lafont? He was a military engineer who became an urban planner. And he transferred these ideas that were in his head onto a 20-ounce piece of paper. He drew it out. And that piece of paper now sits behind plexiglass case, breathing pressurized Oregon gas at the Library of Congress to preserve it. So whenever you go to Washington, D.C., and you make your way down Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Avenue, or run around the National Mall, you are navigating places and spaces that were once the thoughts and ideas of this man. The physical reality of Washington, D.C. was nothing more than an idea that existed in the mind and the imagination of Pierre-Charles Lafont. And this is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. It's that image that allows us to imagine. You see, we inherited that trait from God. We were created in His image. We were created as creative beings because God is creative. God has thought it before it ever happened. And God often revealed His thoughts to man. And when man believed, man has experienced God's thoughts come to life. Now think of some of the examples of God doing what God does. You remember as the children of Israel were trying to escape the Egyptian army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, and God says, go across the sea. And man believed him, and man stepped in, and then what did God do? He parted the sea. It it was in God's thought before it came to be. But once man believed and he stepped in, then God acted. The sun and the moon stood still for Joshua. The ravens fed Elijah. The fish spit out Jonah. The fire did not burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the lions did not eat Daniel. Simply put, when God gives us a vision... He makes provision. We've experienced that in our own lives so many times. I think this church, Christ Church, is an example of God giving a vision even before it happened. Mark Batterson writes, 
We live at the intersection of two theologies, two realities. The faithfulness of God is pursuing us from the past, and the sovereignty of God is setting us up for the future. So what does all that mean? Well, it means that you are here for such a time as this. You are here for such a place as this. It is no accident that we are here together. Our connection is meant to be. God can do more in one day than you and I can accomplish in a thousand lifetimes. But we have to wind the clock. So let's get to that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 again. Let's look at it and think a little deeper with it. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Well, friend, there's no question the days are evil. We can talk about that till the sun comes down. You don't have to look far. I mean, you look at the news every day. You see what's happened in the Ukraine. You see all the stuff that's going on all around us. Uh, that's a lesson for another day. But today I want us to focus on that idea that we need to make the most of every opportunity. The King James Version translates that as redeem the time. So let's talk about minutes and moments. Some of you are old enough to remember that Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov. How many of you remember Yakov Smirnov? Come on now, y'all don't remember that guy? 1977, I know it was before some of y'all were alive. But he asked, he was asked what he loved most about America. And his answer was, our grocery stores. He says, I walked down an aisle and I saw powdered milk. Just add water and you get milk. Right next to it was powdered orange juice. Just add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder and I thought to myself, what a country! <laughs> we live in a culture where everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame or we want that get-rich-quick scheme. We, we want that quick fix. We're needing instant gratification. But you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's probably going to take a little longer than you wish to build up things. And young people, especially as they're starting out, they think, boy, I want to have everything that mom and dad has. Well, it took mom and dad years to get to where they are. But that's the way we feel, right? So let me share some thoughts on managing minutes, and then we're going to talk about managing moments. Uh, you know, the, the idea about managing time, you don't find time, you make time. Do you realize that all of us are allotted the same amount of time? Every, every human being. We have the same amount of seconds in every minute, the same amount of minutes in every hour, the same amount of hours in every day. Am I right? 
Tom is the great equalizer. And here's a little secret. You don't find time to write a book. You make the time. You don't find time to train for a marathon. I'm not training for a marathon. It's not a big deal for me. But I know people that do. And they have to make time to train. You don't find time for family. You make time. Now the question people would have is, how do you make time? And the first part of that answer is, you curse the barren fig tree. And you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Curse the barren fig tree. How many of you remember in the Gospels this miracle? That really is a, it's an, a very unique an amazing miracle. It's in a category all by itself. All the other miracles that Jesus did were life-giving miracles. You know, he giving sight to the blind and, you know, helping the lepers be healed and helping the lame to walk and giving life back to people. But this miracle, cursing the barren fig tree, it's the exact opposite. Jesus curses this tree because it's not producing fruit. In other words, that fig tree was not being a good steward. <laughs> Faithfulness equals fruitfulness. All of us have barren fig trees in our lives. Things that waste our time and things that waste our energy. How much time do we waste on things like social media? How much time do we waste on things that, in reality, don't really matter? So cursing the barren fig tree is identifying the things in our life that waste time. It's saving time the same way we would save money. And you have to figure out what works for you. You have to, you know, we talked earlier in one of the sermons about stacking our habits. For some, it might mean uh, putting a book in your bathroom and you can read a book a month. And some of you have much more potential than that, okay? <laughs> Don't just listen to the news. Pray for the news. I know many of you have been praying for Ukraine. We need to be praying. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, but there are people that are lost. We need to pray so that God can redeem the time. Listen to a podcast while you're, you're exercising or listen to an audio book as you're commuting. You redeem the time by turning those daily routines into good habits. And also you curse the barren fig tree by establishing some boundaries. Establishing boundaries is making some pre-decisions. Now I've not always been good at setting boundaries. As a pastor it can often be difficult. You know because as a pastor I want to be there for people and I'm often uh, available, you know, especially for emergency situations. I had to leave my house in the middle of the night to go to a scene of an accident, and 
be there when the family member has to identify their, their loved one. That, that's a tough one. I've been there in the middle of the night when a student was dealing with another student. And there was a whole group of students, and there was one that they believed was demon-possessed. But understanding that I am a husband and a father is also very important. So there's some balance that has to take place. I shared this story about a year ago in a different context. Um, and uh, so if, if you've already heard it, just listen uh, patiently if you don't mind. But several years ago, we had a lady in our church who really was very needy. I think she was, she was just lonely. She passed away again about a year ago. And I, under, I understood this. And um, I, think, I think most of the people here that knew her, we, we tried our best to be there for her, to pour into her life and love her. And I loved her and I cared for her. And, but there were times that you just had to say no. Y'all know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just have to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. One time she had surgery and she was in the hospital. This is pre-COVID, so I was able to go up there and have prayer with her. And um, I saw her Friday afternoon, right after she had a hip replacement. And I left her in the room with the medical staff of the hospital. Later that night, Christy and I were out on a date. And we went to a movie. And there's probably about 15, 20 minutes left in the movie. Now, I turned the ringer off on my phone, which, you know, if, if you're a moviegoer, you, you learn, you know, turn the ringer off on your phone or everybody's going to hate you. But it, it started vibrating, and as I looked at the phone, I realized it was that hospital's generic number. And, you know, sometimes how you immediately know in your head, uh-oh, <laughs> that, that's my friend. And I'm pondering, do I, do I answer that? You know, do I get up and walk out? And, you know, now listen, you may judge me. But I decided that I would call her as soon as the movie was over. Well, my phone vibrated again. And it vibrated again. And it vibrated again. And then again. And again. And again. And again. Nine times in five minutes. And I had four messages. Now, I don't know. Sometimes I think when we're older, we don't realize if I just leave one message and the person gets to that message, I don't need to leave another message because they got the message. But she left four messages. When the movie was over, Christy and I went to the car, and as we listened to the messages, each one was identical to the first. Each one with this frantic request. Tim, you've got to call me, please, immediately, as soon as you get this call. Call me right away. I need you to call me. Call me, please. Again, every message, the exact same. The exact same sound of desperation in her voice. And so I called her and I said, Are, is everything okay? And she said, no, I'm not okay. And I was like, well, wh what's the problem? She said, do you remember that big girl that was in here working with me when you left. And I did remember there was a CNA who was in her room who was helping her out. And I said, well, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I told her I wanted to 
drink some water and she said I had to hold my own cup and the other girl she wouldn't fix my pillow she said I don't know how you want your pillow fixed I, I was quiet for a moment as I'm trying to figure out why is she calling me and I said to her are, are you saying that you want me to come to the hospital and fluff your pillow she said yes I need you to come right away and, and now some of you may judge me for this, okay? And if you do, I, I apologize that I'm not meeting your level of pastoral care. But um, I told her, I said, I, I'm sorry, but it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm on a date with my wife. I, I'm not coming over there tonight. And she said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Everything was fine. <laughs> And I went to see her the next day. But there are times you have to say no. And there are times you definitely have to say yes. Knowing those times is important. For me, now unless it's a life or death situation, my predecision is that if I'm out on a date with my wife and you call me, I'm not coming over. Unless it's an emergency, hear me well. Is that fair? Thank you. Thank you. The second way to make time is to do the math. Consider how long it takes you to do different things. For me, this looks like, okay, how many minutes or hours is it going to take me to prepare my sermon for this weekend? How many minutes or hours is it going to take me to get my lesson done? And on my calendar every week, I have time put in my calendar where I'm going to work on my sermon, where I'm going to work on my lesson, where I've got to meet with people and study with people and, you know, uh, different things. You know, what am I reading and how many minutes do I, I, I spend commuting? You can also think of it that way. Uh, I have Audible uh, which has books on it, and I listen to those books as I travel. Um, and when you think about it, you can sort of figure out how many books you could listen to as you calculate the amount of time you're traveling. And uh, if you listen to the book, how long the book is, you can figure those things out. If you want to read a book a month and the average book is 300 pages, then, then you need to read about 10 pages a day to reach your goal. So think about that. Managing minutes by cursing the barren fig trees and by doing the math. But let's switch gears a bit. If managing minutes is a science, then managing moments is more like an art. It's a sixth sense. The ancient Greeks had two words for time, chronos and kairos. They are two sides of the same coin. But they are as different as heads and tails. Chronos is clock time and is where we get our word chronology. Chronos is sequential, it's past, present, and future. It is quantitative, it is seconds, minutes, and hours. Managing Chronos time is very important. We've already talked about that. If you don't control your calendar, your calendar is going to control you. But the word used in Ephesians 5.16 is not chronos, it's kairos. And this refers to those top of the empire state building kind of moments. It actually translates two ways, time or opportunity. In a sense, it's counting the cost. 
And not just the actual cost, but the opportunity cost. Again, there are decades when nothing happens, but then there are days when decades happen. Kairos is all about seizing those days. It's recognizing holy moments and taking them in. It's smelling the roses, or in Jesus' words, considering the lilies. But if you want to make time, you have to do the math, and you have to manage your moments. Now, how do we manage those moments? First of all, pay attention to the teachable moments. Teachable moments are kairos moments. I think those moments present themselves all the time, but are all too often uh, we just react to them and we're not really ready for them. We, we, we don't, we're not proactive when it comes to them. We react in the flesh instead of seeing the moment for what it is, a teachable moment. And these are the moments that can really change our lives. How do we wind the Kairos clock? Well, we pay attention to those promptings of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been prompted by the Holy Spirit to go speak to someone, to stop and help someone? Maybe you saw someone in here today, and as soon as you saw their face, you felt that prompting, I need to go speak to that person. You don't know exactly why, but you walked over. You see opportunities where others may just see issues. No one was better at that than Jesus. The religious leaders wanted to stone a woman caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus stepped in. He stepped up. Hey, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Teachable moment. The the religious leaders criticized a woman who anointed Jesus' feet. Who is she? Who does she think she is? Wasting all of it. And Jesus said, well, one day the world is going to hear what you've done. Teachable moment. The disciples try to keep the kids away. Oh, he's too busy. We got places to go and things to do. Leave the master alone. And Jesus said, come on, guys. Let the little children come to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven teachable moment. Even on the cross, Jesus is all about everyone else. He says to the soldiers, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He says to John as he looks down from that cross and he sees his mother and his best friend, John. And he says, woman, here is your son and son, here is your mother. He even shows grace to the, one of the men hanging on the cross next to him. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. There are people all around us all the time that need us to be peacemakers and grace givers and tone setters. But friends, it will never happen if we're not open and if we're not looking and aware. Winding the Kairos clock is accumulating experiences. Try out this little mantra for your life. Don't accumulate possessions. Accumulate experiences. You know, at the end of our life, what do you think are going to be more important to us? Possessions 
or experiences. Time to spend with possessions or time to spend with people and make those experiences. It is people and the experiences we have with them that are going to be so much more important to us at the end of our life. So you've got to manage the minutes and you've got to manage the moments. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it's those moments that you have from this day until that day that will make the difference. Wind the clock and win the day. Father, we come to you today and we ask you to help us to appreciate the time that you have given us. Help us to appreciate every moment that we have with each other. This is no accident, Father, that we're together. You have brought us together in the name of your Son, Jesus. Thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for our loved ones. Thank you for our family. Thank you for every experience and every moment we have with them. Help us to make the most of our time and energy and resources. I pray that we would see our life through your lens. We are here for just a moment of time, and then we are with you. So help us, Father, to use those moments to honor and glorify you and to use those moments to try to help others come to know you. Let us begin today, Lord. Let us be thoughtful and focused. Help us wind the clock and win the day. In Jesus' name, amen.